Hi, I'm Nate from Colorado. This is James in London. And I'm Rochella in North Carolina. And we are Friends in Formation. It's a podcast where three very different friends take your questions about life and faith with the goal of really listening to and learning from each other. This podcast was created by Renovare, a Christian ecumenical renewal effort, offering resources and experiences to help people become more like Jesus. Do email your questions to us at friends at renovare.org. That's friends at renovare.org. And if we use your question, we'll gladly send you a very special Friends Information book. Well, guys, our first question today comes from Greg, who says, How do you reconcile the gentleness of the easy yoke that Jesus talks about regarding our efforts toward our spiritual formation? He references Matthew chapter 11, 28 to 30, with the more brutal approach that Paul talks about when he says he beats his body to make it his slave. And then references 1 Corinthians 9, 27. So, woohoo, reconciling <laughs> Jesus and Paul here. I, um, and just, just to, to make it clear, I will say that the, the Matthew passage is when Jesus says, Come unto me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest unto your souls. Now, I'm quoting that from King James because I grew up when that's what you learned, right? But then the the passage in 1 Corinthians that he talks about is when Paul is using athletic imagery, and the verse in particular he quotes as, Oh, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Some versions say, I beat my body into submission. So, there, you know, it does right. seem like a brutal approach in 1 Corinthians, right. whereas Jesus has talked about gentleness and about how we find rest. So, how do we reconcile the two? <laughs> Strike a blow. What translation is that? Oh, that's the NIV. Uh, NIV. So, in one corner, we have Jesus, and in the other... <laughs> Paul. <laughs> oh, yeah. No. James, oh, James funny. Not I'm not buying that. <laughs> well, actually, you know, um, Nate, that's a great that that is a great segue because I I was reading about that passage in Paul, and he actually is using imagery from boxing. And I did not know this, but I read that, of course. We, we're familiar with the fact that Paul used this athletic imagery. I mean, there were the Olympian Games, but there were also the Isthian Games, I think, which were held maybe in or near Corinth. And boxing was one of the most violent sports of the games. So Paul's basically saying, look, you cannot prepare for shadow boxing. So what's that verse? I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. He's saying, no, you got to be prepared to really get into the ring. You, you, you can't just beat the air like you would in shadow boxing and be prepared to go around with whom? With myself, with Satan, with error. So it is interesting that the imagery is so strikingly different. 
But I liked your hesitation, James. You're not going to put Jesus in one <laughs> corner and Paul in the other. <laughs> no. It's a classic thing to do with the Bible is to is to make it look in opposition to each right. other. And 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 I mean, we know that we interpret Scripture by Scripture. It's supposed to be you know helping us out. So we use the Jesus passage to understand Paul, and mm-hmm. we have to work through how the Paul passage helps us understand Jesus. And we want to, you know, make sure that's right. I mean, the Jesus image of the yokes. So we're carrying a heavy burden, but having seen a lot of, you know, oxen in developing world countries, Vietnam, Mm -hmm. Cambodia, you know, Africa, and so on, is they do chafe. They often do chafe. So to have a yoke that is easy and fits and doesn't, draw blood and scrape and cause sores. It's a horrible thing to see when when an animal is is being is having to pull along this heavy weight and it hurts them as well. It's not good news. And the, this remarkable idea of an easy yoke in, in itself would seem a contradiction. So let's not put that in contradiction to Paul. And the Paul passage yeah there is that athletics image but he didn't hate his body no and he wouldn't i don't think want us to hate our bodies i i think we want to be careful not to put ourselves in opposition with our physical body either i do think the dallas willard who's been so influential on us the writer and thinker who has a whole chapter in one of his books, the body, our primary you know, ally in Christ-likeness. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. often people want to set the body up in opposition to the spiritual life and we have to suppress it. He's saying the body, our primary ally in Christ-likeness. I mean, what does that mean? Love your thoughts on that as well. I'm really glad that it was only five minutes in before our first Dallas quote. So, right. Well, <laughs> yeah. well done. That's well right. Done. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Very helpful one. And one of the things it brings up for me is climbing mountains. You've done a lot of that, haven't you? Yeah. I mean, yeah. a few. Yeah. And and a lot of the fourteen thousand foot mountains here in Colorado, you can just walk up them. It's just crazy steep and it's crazy long. And I used to climb them with a sort of cruelty, like I would berate myself. Like, I mean, in a, you know, I thought it was a good way. Come yeah. on, man. What do you got? What do you got? You know, and just, <laughs> just this kind of cruelty to get up the mountain. And it worked. It got me up there to some extent. Mm. But now I don't do that. I still push, but there's a kind of kindness to it of like, you can do it, man. Like, like we got this. And that's a little how I see it, that there can be a, you know, a, a striving for sin that, that comes with a, a way of diminishing the fact that we're made in the image of God and much loved with the same goal, but maybe different means that to, you know, in, intentionally put ourselves in a, in a space of slavery. I'm not a, I'm not a victim, but I can work quite hard. There's nothing wrong with working hard. Yeah. I don't know if that's making sense. No, Michelle, that makes, that makes really Absolutely. good. That makes really good sense to me. And when I think about this listener's question, I am struck by his saying, how do you reconcile these words of Jesus with these words of Paul? And what's so interesting is that in both cases, both of the speakers are using metaphors 
to make a point, right? Jesus did this all the time. <laughs> Jesus was great at using metaphors and similes. You know, so much of his teaching, he would he didn't say the kingdom of God is. He said, the kingdom of God is like, and he would use familiar terms to get us to understand. Well, in that very agrarian culture, he said, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. And they would have understood just like you said, James, about a yoke. But what does he mean with that metaphor? I think that, again, turning to Dallas for some help there, I really believe that the yoke can only be easy. It's the hardest thing in the world, except that we are yoked with Jesus. We are yoked to eternal power, and Jesus pulls the load. Our part is easy only if we're allowing the Lord to supply the power that's needed. If we're slipping in, not as the one who has to call the shots, not as the one who has to supply the oomph, Mm. but as the one who's going to slip in and be in partnership with the one who supplies the power. And then there's Paul using a metaphor. <laughs> where he, Paul is not saying beat your body. Paul is saying this is, he's actually using a simile to get the language right. He's saying this is like an athletic competition. And we can think about what athletes do. Athletes do make sacrifices, don't they? They give up eating garbage and they eat food that will fuel their bodies. They give up time spent in leisure, maybe, in order to perform the exercises they need to be good at their sport. It puts me in mind of what Paul says in another place in the 12th chapter of Romans, when he talks about offering our bodies as living sacrifices. Again, with the metaphor, he's not saying we crawl upon the altar and light a match to our bodies. He's saying we give up in order to receive. We have to make room to do what's needful. And I don't see any contradiction at all between those two if we can think of both of them as sort of as figures of speech that offer a real full picture of what this is like. You know, some people are so strident about the fact that we don't earn our salvation, that salvation is all of grace, which is true, right? But grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. Yes, salvation is a gift, but we do stand in a place of needing to put in effort because we do need to overcome some things. We we do need to take the steps. Nathan, you don't have to beat yourself up on the way up the mountain, but you do have to put one foot in front of the other to make progress on the path, right? Mm. So that's good. right. What I'm hearing in in both of these is is freedom. Mm. I mean, Paul's talking about being free from enslavements of of his body. This is a joy of sorts, right? The yoke. There's a freedom in in that, right? James, did I get that? Yeah, I agree. A disciplined life can lead to a contented life, to Absolutely. freedom. You know, Galatians 5, it is for freedom that we were set free and yep. entering that reality. And here's another paradox or tension. You need discipline, a structure, 
allows us to be free. I mean, this is one of the great lies that it's the lack of structure, lack of discipline that is freedom. But that's not the case. We need those. And that's why the body is such a helpful place Mm -hmm. to carry them. So again, the body, if we are living in that structured, disciplined way, we actually have the freedom and the contentedness and the gentleness comes out of that. I mean, these are these are the paradoxes that only maturity can bring because we have to fight against many of the false ideas that are put to us. So that what we're really after is take away all the controls, do whatever I like. I'm a pretty bad person if you take away this <laughs> kind of stuff. I don't, you won't like what you see. And I certainly don't like what I see. It's the how do I have the character, the maturity to you know structure in an pr- appropriate way so that's why we don't hate our physical bodies because our bodies carry you know habits it's the carrying mm-hmm. of the habits the good habits and also the unhelpful habits i mean i've you know i've got habits that i'm really trying to work through and gradually as we trust the lord more we we, we ease off those and we enter this incredible reality that jesus is talking about. Yeah. James, what you just said reminds me of um, a hymn that we sang when I was growing up. You all know I haven't mentioned yeah. it in a long it's time. Five minutes. Minutes. We've gone five minutes. <laughs> as long as there's tears with it. Come on now. <laughs> <laughs> well, this one, it, it's not one that's ever sung anymore, I don't think. But the name of it is His Yoke is Easy. Mm. That, that's the name of the hymn. And listen to this one verse. My flesh recoiled before the cross, and Satan whispered there, Thy gain will not repay the loss. His yoke is hard to bear. Mm. Oh, boy. The enemy of our souls has always used lies, right? Mm. But the refrain is, His yoke is easy. His burden is light. I've found it so. I've found it so. His service is my sweetest delight. His blessings ever flow. Mm. Yeah. And I think that's right. We find as we walk in that yoke, it proves true, Mm. right? It it really does. And if it's not working for you, as I know, it's not always work. I've not found it easy. Then stop. Think about what you're doing. Consider, reflect, and then try again. You know, it's not a case of push, 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 as you said, you know, hiking up a big mountain. It's, you know, can we stop here and think about this and now have another go at it? So let's not do the try, 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 you know, let's just pause and think. I wonder what's not working right here and use it in a non-judgmental way. We're not beating ourselves up of guilt and shame. We're saying, okay, this isn't working for me at this point. What do I need to do? What's, how do I need to reframe this? How do I need to come at it in a slightly different way? And more importantly, what is Jesus saying to me in this place right now? And mm-hmm. hardship, you know, we, we know that hardship produces the fruit and we don't want it that way. We want it easy. <laughs> but actually that comes, that comes. It's okay to suffer suffer well Mm. Mm. you know Mm. some of these these habits do require suffering 
and mm. and that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> One of the things that unites the three of us, I mean, we're friends in formation and we say we're different, very different. But one thing the three of us mm-hmm. have is we have all been through some hard experiences and that's been a way to grow. Yeah. Hard experiences a lot of times yield soft hearts. Oh, that's good. I do hope so. <laughs> or or <gasps> cold, bitter, resentful hearts. <laughs> there is mm. a choice. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. so there good. There is a choice. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That actually is a, a good segue in, into a question I have from one of our listeners. What are the practices you engage in to remain healthy in the midst of heavy burdens you're helping carry for others? Mm-hmm. Back to heavy burdens. <laughs> True, yes. <laughs> and thank you for this question. It's a really powerful mm-hmm. one, and it reflects actually what a number of people have asked in different ways. And the practices and how we approach this is a really important because a lot of us are carrying some significant issues here. So I'm glad this has been brought up. Well, I'll lead off with saying what may be the most obvious practice and the hardest one to do sometimes, which is rest. When you're engaged in caring for someone, it is really easy to put away the thoughts of your own physical needs, right? Because a lot of times when you're caring for someone, their physical needs are uppermost in your mind, you know, because your physical needs are not uppermost in your mind. It's easy to dismiss them. But as we just said, your body is your ally, right? Your, your body is what allows you to carry those burdens. And you can't keep going without any rest. So mm-hmm. that is one practice that I, I think I've said this before. I really believe that you have to undertake rest as a discipline. It can take a lot of structure and planning and will not necessarily just present itself as a happy opportunity. It's the kind of thing you really may have to go to a great deal of trouble to schedule, but it's absolutely need- needed. It's needful. I woke up this morning with an interesting thought. I'm not sure if I like it or not, but I'll say it. My alarm clock woke me up this morning, which is all well and good. And I thought, it's kind of silly in a way to push the envelope to the point and then it's painful to wake up as opposed to structuring my life in such a way that I wake up with without. And uh, often that'll happen Mm -hmm. for me. But I just thought as a culture, how silly in a way to just structure things so that we're always, uh, you know, happen to do this as opposed to letting our body get, you know, kind of what it needs to to recharge. Mm. I heard a statistic and I forgive me for not being able to quote where it came from, but it's essentially that of uh, caregivers for terminally ill people, that uh, 40% of them end up dying before the person they're caring for. Oh. <gasps> oh, my word. Right? Maybe the first thing I'd say in terms of carrying burdens, you know, for others, they're biblical. Good thing. Um, mm-hmm. But to begin with, this is an honor. It is truly an honor to get to spend our time, our energies, our efforts in trying to be of help to someone else. 
And, and so mm-hmm. kind of beginning at that point and with that, we don't do this as a victim and that's just so easy to fall into, but there's the clanging gong. There's a, you can serve a lot mm-hmm. and, and just be a loud gong as opposed to, and, you know, with love. And, and I think some of that begins with, it's an honor and it's, it's a very much mm-hmm. a way to walk with Jesus is holding the hand of, of, of another. Mm-hmm. So just to build on that really helpful points, rest, Rochelle, I mean, I think trying to understand that rest is worship. It's not just a mm. little mm. interlude, a sort of, you know, I can't keep this up forever. I'm exhausted. I'll just take a quick break. And as soon as I possibly can, I get into it again, back to it again. If we can get a better understanding of rest as worship, it's not just the absence of work. It is a positive thing to rest. You know, the love of God is not the same as love of others. It's a different commandment. And obviously, there's some overlap, but don't conflate the two together that by loving others, we're loving God always. We need to mm-hmm. love God in his own right. And we do that in part through rest and building that in whatever that means for us as individuals and and understanding that God creates out of an abundance and we want to open ourselves up. Now, how that works is an individual choice. And as you said, you know, you have to plan for it. You have to build some of that in. You can't, it just doesn't happen once you've done everything else, whatever's left at the end of my day, you know. So, so I think we, we want to just to be more conscious of it. So I just would add, it's really helpful for me. One thing I check is how many enriching people do I have in my life as opposed to the draining relationships? Mm. So a relationship that's demanding a lot of me, which is happens and many of us have to, many of us has to for years. Um, okay, so how do I build in relationships that enrich me, positive mm. experiences? You know, do I need a, an accountability group? I mean, I've been enriched hugely by a little triplet of us who meet together. We've been meeting for years and years and years together, and we laugh a lot, and we joke with each other, and they tease me, and they care about me, and it's just an enriching and experience. And and where do we find those relationships? And I just think it's helpful just to check. This is not a blame thing. This is not a guilt thing. It's an operating out of abundance of grace, a cycle of mm. grace, as it's been called by Frank Lake and Emil Brunner, who came up with this concept of a cycle of grace that we just want to be careful that we don't see that we want to achieve things to prove our significance so that they Mm -hmm. will sustain us and make us acceptable to God Mm -hmm. and maybe others. Whereas actually we want to work from a basis of acceptance by God becomes our sustenance that leads to significance, and then we achieve things out of that. Did you see how different that cycle is? Don't you think? And I just want to be checking myself on that. I yeah. do. If I could share just a quick personal story. A number of years ago, my husband had just had major 
heart surgery, serious surgery. And he'd been home for three weeks and things were going well. And then one night at dinner, all three of my sons were home. We sat down to dinner and my husband got this weird look on his face and said, I'm not feeling too well. I think I'll just go lie down. And he got up from the table and he made it as far as the next room. And we heard this loud thump. He had collapsed. And it's the one time in my life that I had to call 911. And the ambulance came and they loaded him onto a gurney. I rode in the front of the ambulance and he rode in the back. We went to the emergency room. Then he was readmitted. Now, I'm glad to say it all worked out. It was just an episode. But I'm going to tell you guys, you're not going to believe this. It's true. And I wonder if our listener struggles. Part of what I could think was, oh my goodness, all those dishes. Like I made such a mess and we left the the kitchen table just cluttered with stuff. (laughs) And I'm totally serious. And why? Because I felt like as the wife and the mother that I should have been able to tend to that before going to be at the hospital, <laughs> right? I should have. Yeah. I should have been that good. Clearly. This is this kind Clearly. of standard yeah. that we set for ourselves. Do you know, I had to like screw up my courage and ask a friend because I mean, you can imagine my three th- sons also came to the hospital, were also distraught. And a friend who I quickly called some friends and said, please pray for Jack, right? But a friend who happened to live next door said, what do you need? What can I do? And it took honest-to-God courage to say, would you mind to go just clean the kitchen? And she said, of course, consider it done. And I was so ashamed, y'all, because I felt like I should have been able to do it all. (laughs) You seriously asked someone to go clean your kitchen? I did, It was that much in your, wow. Well, I mean, it needed to be done, sure, sure. right? It, it it really did need to be done. The we we didn't need everything to just sit there and rot and you know get worse. It did need to be done, but my point is that it was hard to ask for help. Oh, got it, got it. Okay, and I really think that to this les- listener's question, summon the courage to ask for help. Now, I I want you to know my friend who cleaned the kitchen, she was also a mom with three children. She totally got it, right? She didn't mind cleaning the kitchen. And she later told me, thank you for giving her the opportunity to do Mm -hmm, something. So when we feel like we have to do it all, we deny others the opportunity to help bear our burdens. Mm -hmm. I mean, back to Galatians that you just quoted, James. Galatians 6, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We were made to work together. And when we are in the position of caring for someone and we feel like we're supposed to do it all, mm, that means we're denying other people the opportunity to help bear our burdens, right? That's right. This is meant to be not just one person being sufficient unto everything. This is supposed to be dependence on Christ and dependence on one another. And I'm telling you, at least for moms, it takes real courage to admit that you need help. There's a a sort of arrogance to the idea that you should let me help you, but I won't let you help me. 
right? I mean, that's exactly. a that's a position, that's a power play of sorts, but mm-hmm, it is. Yeah. I got a tip uh, that that's been really helpful for me at practice is learning to trust other people to God. The kind of when to let go, and especially mm-hmm. in crisis when things are really quite serious, I can't do this, but I can I can trust you in this wherever that goes, right? Mm-hmm. Living in the unsettledness, living in the lack of control that we have over other people. I found that really helpful, really difficult, but um, mm-hmm. quite helpful. It's incredibly hard because if you're under particular pressure over caring for you know others and you're exhausted by the experience, it's incredibly hard when someone like us comes along and says, well, it should be this and you should be that, (laughs) you know, and there may be something in what we've just said. I mean, you've both of you, your comments have been helpful as far as I'm concerned, but if you're really up against it, I just think we want to say the kingdom of the heavens is open to you as much as anybody else. Jesus is there for you. Grace is there for you acceptance is there for you. He is Jesus, our ever-living Savior, teacher, Lord, and friend. And we want to pray that he will save us in the situation we're in. We want to ask that he will teach me, educate me, please, through this tough experience of helping others or helping an individual. Will you be my Lord in this context and Lord of the situation I'm in? And would you be my friend in this? Because I'm isolated, perhaps, and lonely. I mean, just working through all those four aspects may be a great opportunity in this experience. Well, dear friends in formation, (laughs) I have a question from Mark. I'm going to read it all. It'll take a little while, but I think it's well framed and I just think it's worth hearing it all. Bishop Desmond Tutu once said that religion and politics are a seamless robe. He says, I think I agree with him, but I'm really troubled by the way churches and Christians in North America have become so bitterly divided by politics over the past decade or two. How should churches as well as Christians individually handle political issues? Should we remain silent on them in order to maintain the unity of the spirit? Or do we need to lovingly speak out about how our spiritual values should affect our political priorities and then just love each other despite our sometimes major differences? If it's the latter, I'd appreciate any advice you can give on doing that as it's especially hard now that both sides equally fear that our country's entire future is at stake. Now, I can hear across the United States and possibly beyond a sharp intake of breath (laughs) at this point (laughs) as they go, right, this is going to be interesting. Just to say to those joining us that we 
have often wanted to speak about some of this because you are asking us, people who come with us, we think this is one that we could actually just go with. It speaks for many others that we've had as well. Mm, So over to you guys. Um, (laughs) I'm not in the United States, so it's not my... Okay, well, but wait a minute, wait a minute, James. I'm really taken by the fact that this listener begins with a statement from Desmond Tutu and then asks the question about the situation in the U.S. And I'm, I'm wondering if there might be some help from us from thinking about the, the horrible situation in which Desmond Tutu was living, the, the politics in South Africa. And he's saying that he thinks Desmond Tutu's point is is a good one. Can you help us a little? I mean, ha- have you faced similar situations in the UK? Let's just go to the South African context, which I've spent quite a bit of time in and have served within this South African context a bit. And I do think it's useful that Desmond Tutu has um, spoken on this and said that religion and politics are a seamless robe. I think it's quite useful to apply the apartheid test to Mm. the issues we're talking about, because going back to the era when the apartheid was the way the society in South Africa was entirely uh, structured when an evangelist, the person I was most you know, influenced by is Michael Cassidy, who's a white South African. He was you know, preaching to everyone and he was feeling he needed to speak out on this issue of apartheid. And people would say, good Christians would say, oh no, but we can't speak on that because we don't want to get involved in politics. You know, we mustn't because it's a partisan issue. And my point is apply the apartheid test. Is that really the case? And of course, it's not the case because apartheid isn't politics, it's theology. It's a theological statement about the significance of the individual, black, white, you know, African. So we really need to be thinking about this. So it's not good enough just to say, if it's partisan, we shouldn't be speaking on it. Because if that were the case, we wouldn't speak on slavery. And there's a number of issues there we just need to be careful about. So the question is, how do we get involved? And what do we say over it? And I think that's a very critical issue to think about. How do we conduct this conversation in a polarized environment. I don't want to shirk what this listener asked because he was asking specifically about the situation in the U.S., but I'm really taken with what you said about applying the apartheid test. I mean, tensions really are running high in the U.S. right now. There's no doubt about it. And there are people on both sides of the political aisle who really do feel that the future is at stake, that the the issues are so important that there can't be any compromise. And I, for one, know devout Christians on both sides of the aisle. I know people who believe so strongly in one side or the other, and they are 
looking at their matters of faith and taking them really seriously and have come to opposite conclusions, that it's there's this dissonance. In fact, today we've talked a lot about living in the tension, <laughs> but sometimes I think, well, wait a minute, I can't say that this person is a more devout Christian than this person, and yet what they believe politically is so diametrically opposed. How do I make sense of this? So I do want us to recognize not some sort of nebulous, you know, there are good people on both sides of this argument. No, there are people who have considered things carefully and have come to different conclusions. And I want to be so respectful of that because I think it's true. But your apartheid test is really challenging because I think if I if I actually start looking at some individual issues instead of looking just sort of at the big party, to whom do I owe my allegiance sort of thing, but start looking at some individual issues, there really are some apartheid test issues. And I don't know that they all belong to one party or the other, but there are some things on which I probably personally need to take a stand. And when it comes to the issues of of whether, you know, whether someone's life is at stake, whether it's okay to discriminate on the basis of of race. There are issues that that are just moral issues at their core. And I need to have the courage of my convictions that every human being is made in the image of God and needs to be treated with, with care and concern. I mean, there are some issues that really do have to be informed by my faith. And there may be people I love who disagree with me on those issues, but I've still got to go with what Jesus tells me. Which is? See, that's the thing. This question is, should I stay silent or should I recognize that there are some issues of faith And then, how does he say it? He says it really interestingly. He says, we need to lovingly speak out about how our spiritual values should affect our political parties and then just love each other despite our sometimes major differences. I think maybe it's a both and. Right. (laughs) I think we may have major differences that some of which really deserve our attention and yet we're not excused from loving the other, are we? I've heard from a, a number of pastors in recent years of this, I can't please everybody. Like I, I hold this position and then these people leave and these people don't. And I mean, in one sense, there's this empathy I have of just people are just getting in their camps and they're building the fences. Mm-hmm. But some of these issues are extremely important, you know, and trying to appease everybody right. is not I mean, that's more about people pleasing and about themselves than about what's true and right and what Jesus is calling us to. I struggle with this, and I'm so glad I'm not a pastor to try and, you know, wrestle through some of this. There is a part of me that 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 thinks, you know, a little envious of the some Anabaptist movements that just completely stay out of politics. I don't know that that's necessarily the answer either. I got two thoughts on an individual level, and that is that be willing to be wrong. 
it's okay to be wrong. Mm. <laughs> it's okay to listen. It's okay to learn. And it's okay to not have an opinion on everything. I don't know if that's American or mm. modern era, but there just seems to be this sense that we have to have an opinion on every single issue, which one's just not really mm -hmm. realistic in terms of having an informed opinion on everything, but this kind of compulsion. A lot of these things become distractions. I mean, they just are distractions mm. to, to the kingdom. Just a few more thoughts from me. It's interesting that you say, listen. I do think that's a very important principle here. In the Renovare Book Club this year, we're looking at John Woolman, the mm -hmm. Quaker, who was around in the era of slavery. And it's a wonderful book. To read the journal of John Woolman is such a fascinating story. It's it's a story, so it's not a sort of academic book. It's not a highbrow book. It's a very approachable, enchanting story of his experiences. And what's impressed me so much is that he did listen a lot and mm -hmm. he kept quiet a lot and he mm -hmm. waited for the spirit to build within him before he spoke. You know, he'd sit there often and he would hear some terrible things. People would say some things that were unacceptable and that he didn't agree with but he still he sat there for a long time even years before he felt the injunction to speak but he spoke and when he spoke and he paid a price for it but i i thought that the principle to listen and also the principle of restraint is so important i think democracy our political system relies a lot on restraint us being able just to hold ourselves back, wait, get the tone mm. right, drain off some of the angst and fury, and to sweep it. Because it's Jesus who said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And what I think he was meaning was sweetly to say, this is how things are, this is how things are not. And there's a power and an authority of being able to speak calmly and clearly without fury so it's not that there aren't furious things around and there aren't things we shouldn't be furious about but mm -hmm. don't let the sun go down on your wrath and anger it often doesn't help to get so furious mm -hmm. it's often stronger if you can sit there and say this is how things are and this is how things are not not to pull in not to swear you know, which is what Jesus is saying, don't swear in the sense of bringing in other things to make your point, to show you're really serious about an issue. Mm. Just say things as they are and be clear. So I think listen and restraint. I learned a lot through a black youth theatre that I've been involved with. And the, one of the principles they work in a black youth theatre their teaching to themselves is turn judgment into curiosity. Mm. They're trying to help the black young people they work with to turn judgment into curiosity. And I sometimes think for us white folk, that might be a quite a good principle we could learn from them to turn my judgment into curiosity. Another thing that John Woolman says he's listening to the native americans he says i don't understand what they're saying because they're speaking in their own language but he says i love to hear where the sound comes from 
I love to hear where the sound, he's listening to the way they're speaking, but he's listening beyond the words to where the sounds are coming from deep within them as individuals. And I, I think I'm trying to listen to where the sounds come from with the people I don't think I can accept. One last point, if I might just stretch this, is you know the streams we often talk about, the Ranavare six um, you know, streams, mm-hmm. the contemplative, the holiness, the charismatic, the social justice, the evangelical, and the incarnational, the sacramental. Those are sound big, big words. You know there's a progression in them. Yes, that's right. Good to start with the contemplative, start there, then go to holiness, work on the holiness issues. Then you're more empowered. Then you're more able to handle the charismatic, the power. And the power leads to social, means allows you to have the energy to have the social inner justice. And that's a good platform for the evangelical. And the reason I say all that is, I think if we could work through that order of things, it's a really good preparation for engagement in the big political issues. If you've worked through those, if you're living a contemplative life, Mm -hmm. if you're tackling the holiness issues within you of virtue, if you're welcoming the power of the Holy Spirit, and if that's leading you to do practical social justice, and you're then speaking of Jesus off the back of that, and you're incarnational, I think your tone is probably going to be pretty good by the end of that. (laughs) I think your timing of when to speak and when to keep silent will be pretty accurate. And maybe that's the best place to be. And then we speak off the back of that. How does that sound? Oh, So you're saying that we listen to one another, but we also listen to our friend Jesus and work with him through these issues. Oh, oh, but I'd so much rather live on a diet of rage and firm mm-hmm. how right I am about everything. <laughs> yep. Remember those sacrifices we talked about? Yeah. <laughs> this is where I think spiritual formation is really important in our mm-hmm. community life, in our in our churches, in our coming together. And I think one of the challenges when when there's a kind of theology, if I just kind of have the right beliefs and then convince you of those right beliefs and then and then we we go on to heaven and and there's nothing in between. I think groups get bored and so they just kind of look for <laughs> things to hang on to. I have a quote for you if I can. You guys have probably heard oh, this. Good. Well, let me preface it that there are issues that involve people's very life their safety, their access to resources. I mean, there there are extremely important mm-hmm. issues. I find this quote, this is a C.S. Lewis quote from The Way to Glory. I just find it really helpful to keep all these things in perspective. And here it goes, a little long, but I'll, I'll keep it kind of short. It's a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses, to remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person that you talk to may one day be a creature, which if you saw it now, you would strongly be tempted to worship, or a whore and corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long, we are in some degree helping each other, one or the other of these destinations. It is in light of this overwhelming possibilities, 
it is in the awe and circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. They're an ordinary people. Mm. You've never talked to a mere mortal. And here's the one that gets me every single time. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. That helps me when I get caught in, in things. Just pull back a little bit. Pull back mm-hmm. a little bit. If we can keep eternity in our minds. You mentioned the arts in there, in that list from C.S. Lewis. And there's a practical thought. I've said this, I think, in the previous podcast, is if a direct engagement with a political issue is going to be too divisive in your congregation. You know, the arts may be another place to have a conversation, to paint a picture, to compose a poem, to write a play, a piece of music with words or without words. Even I, I do think the arts space is a forum in which we can look at issues in a slightly less polarized, partisan way. Arts usually speaks first in a culture. Art leads very often the public conversation. The ideas that end up in the political realm have often been explored in the arts world first. So if we want to change a culture and the toxicity of the political area is create culture, if we're unhappy with the culture we've got, create something else. I think critiquing it, yes, there is a role in that. I'm not arguing against that. But don't let's um, be restricted there. Let's create culture. The arts may be a forum that a church can explore. Yeah, a way to tell the truth, but tell it slant. Or in the words of our friend Mako Fujimura, who is an artist, rather than culture wars, let's engage in culture care. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Friends in Formation. We're so glad to have you with us. Look, for more resources, head to renovare.org. There you'll find articles and other podcasts and links to so many different aids that can help you as you journey with Jesus. And please do send us your questions. We love hearing from you. So if you have a question for us, send it to friends at R-E-N-O-V-A-R-E. And don't forget, we'll use your question. We'll send you a Friends Information coffee mug. Thanks.